and welcome to J-O-Y, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. This is the Reverend Mary Vano, and today our guest host is Sister Deborah Charlotte. Sister Deborah is the Executive Director of the Arkansas House of Prayer, which is a ministry in partnership with St. Margaret's and the Diocese of Arkansas. The House of Prayer is a ministry devoted primarily to silence, providing a place of silence and teaching people about silence as a spiritual tool. Sister Deborah, thank you so much for joining me for a conversation about silence. Thank you so much for the invitation. I want to note for our listeners that you are a member of a Roman Catholic order, the Sisters of Mercy, and a longtime member and leader in the community of Little Rock as well. So you are so well-respected, I have found, throughout Little Rock. So I'm really glad that you're here. I was blessed with, let's just say, a lot of help in the ministries where I've been. So it's just been a blessing to be back. One thing that this pandemic has taught me is that silence is actually really hard to find. For many years now, I have made it my routine to wake up at 5.30 in the morning on weekdays so that I can have some time for silence and prayer before the rest of my family is up. And that time is very valuable to me. But during this pandemic, our routines have been really upset. (laughs) As I have spent a lot of time filming video sermons and having meetings and classes on Zoom, I've come to realize just how noisy our world is. Just when I think I've found a quiet place to record a sermon, someone nearby will inevitably start up a lawnmower. My dog likes to start to bark, generally right in the middle of one of these podcasts. (laughs) I can at least mute my phone, but in general, distractions and disruptions are everywhere. Sister, what do you think is the value of silence in such a loud world? As you've described, even before the pandemic, just increasingly our society, almost every moment is filled with noise or commentary or projects or activities or responsibilities. And a lot of times I think we find it so difficult to really have the space within our heart and mind to really listen and be present in our relationships. It's true for our relationship as women of faith to God. How are we present to really listen to the spirit who dwells within and to respond to that spirit in a way that is really life-giving? That's what God wants for us, the fullness of life. Promise that for us. So I was thinking about an example. It's pertinent to the house of prayer because I had just moved back to Little Rock. I'd been six years away in the D.C. area, and I had a little bit of sabbatical. And one of the first things when I moved back, I had visited House of Prayer and done some workshops at House of Prayer before I made the move in 2011. So I was really happy when I got back and I saw this wonderful workshop and it was the fall contemplative retreat day. And I thought, oh, this is a great way to start my little sabbatical. So I'm really getting my mind and heart set for that, looking forward to the day and the silence and the prayer. And so as I'm driving out to the House of Prayer, I said, oh, I better get some gas. So I go to the gas station and I'm already have a habit. I don't tend to put the radio on. Or I just enjoy the silence in the car. It's just one of my practices. So I step out and it's like I'm just anticipating this wonderful experience. And the minute I turn the pump on, gas station news comes up. 
you know, <laughs> gas station news. And of course, it's, you know, loud and it's telling me all this stuff. It's telling me the weather, it's advertising. And I'm just going, oh my gosh, even this moment in the gas station is filled <laughs> with gas station news. It's just such a reminder that, as you say, it's really challenging to find a time of day and a space where we can, you know, guard it and have a little bit of silence. I experienced that challenge myself. And yet now I know after the practice of a number of years, and I'll just say now my practice is really a centering prayer practice. And that's been really a gift on my path and my growth. I'm at the point now that if I don't take those, it's almost like I haven't brushed my teeth. I'm so aware (laughs) of not (laughs) taking the time. It's like I cannot not take the time. It's true that while the prayer practice in the silence, it's not about necessarily what happens or doesn't happen during that time. But the true fruit of the prayer I have found shows up when I'm outside the prayer in my interactions with others. It reminds me, years ago, I attended a retreat for other Christian leaders, and we were taught the concept of margin. You know, you have a page of writing and you need white space, you need margin in order for the rest to make sense. You need the spaces between words, you need the punctuation marks, and we think of those as little things. But when you've tried to read ancient Greek, (laughs) then you know that it's really hard to read. In seminary, we got that opportunity that those ancient Greek manuscripts did not have much space and did not have the punctuation marks that a normal set. So it's really hard to read and interpret without having some white space. And that's how I think of my time in silence. As you said, it's not so much about what happens in the silence, but the silence in my day allows me to make sense and respond well to all the difficult, complicated, wonderful, challenging things that we've got to deal with in our lives. favorite passages of scripture comes from the first book of Kings, the experience of the prophet Elijah, who is told, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. This is when he's going to meet God on Horeb. It says, now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks and pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. I love that because I think that we are often looking for God in things that are big and loud and maybe even destructive or frightening. But at least for Elijah, that's not where God showed up. God was there in the silence instead. Tell us how we can practice looking for God in silence. Well, the first word that comes to my mind is simply. If we could practice simply. 
and I don't mean that there's not a lot to this prayer in terms of its transformative potential in our lives and healing potential it has for, you might say, healing the wounds of our lifetime. But the practice can be simple in the sense that I think the word I like to associate with a more contemplative practice or a silent prayer practice is rest. We learn to rest in God, that God is within us. And sometimes we're so busy seeking God that we miss God's presence within. It is that, you might say, discipline, as Father Thomas Keating would say, sit down, <laughs> sit down. <laughs> biggest step is just to sit and then try to rest in the awareness of God's presence within our own hearts. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, the gift of our baptism. And so often we're looking everywhere except the one place where perhaps the cave of our heart is where God is trying to touch us. The other thought I'll have with that is it's a practice that allows God to find us if we can rest enough, if we can trust enough. And it is absolutely a prayer of faith and trust because, as we said before, it's not always what happens or doesn't happen during that time. And sometimes it's like, where are you, God? Are you here? Are you there? Again, I think there has to be this idea of relationship and growing in the relationship to a point where it doesn't depend on words. In my own practice of this, I think two examples have come to mean a lot to me. When Jesus talks about becoming like a little child to inherit the kingdom, it's not childishness, it's childlikeness. And I can remember having this vivid memory that made a lot of sense in terms of the practice and how my relationship to God, how I was being invited into maybe a deepening relationship. So when I was a child, I can remember it was a Sunday morning or afternoon. My parents were in the living room reading the paper, and I had a coloring book. And I just wanted to go be in the room with them in color. It was nothing more was needed just to be in the room with them. Safety, the security, the presence, the simplicity of that. The other experience is also related to my parents. When I was away those six years, I would get a little bit of time. I would rush home. I had to have a weekend. And inevitably, I'd want to visit with them. So <laughs> I would notice they would, again, be in the room together. But 71 years together, they didn't do much talking. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to. There was a level of communication of presence, again, that just didn't require that. They could just be with each other. I think those were two powerful lessons for me about how God desires to just be with us at times. You know, we're certainly free to give all our prayers, our praise, our thanksgiving, our supplication, all the forms of prayers with words, which we've all been taught and all engaged in. But there's also this simple practice of being present to the presence and how nurturing that is. And it's okay to just be still and seek only to be in the presence of God. I'll say one other thing about that, though. And it's true. This is one of the challenges. Sometimes it is an experience of the calm within the storm. You can actually kind of go to that place and find a sense of peace and calm and quiet. And yet I've also had the experience that, ironically, I can be at the most silent, beautiful place in Arkansas, a house of prayer, and it's like the storm within the calm. It's like I go into this space surrounded by this energy of silence and presence and beauty. And guess what happens? Oh my gosh, so much comes up. All of a sudden I'm going, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And yet that's a healing piece of the process. 
And while I might want to just flee and say, oh, I got to get out of here. What's going on here? Let me go distract myself. That's the invitation, I think, at times to really trust the touch of God in that moment as well and to let it come, let it go, not to over engage any of it. Mm-hmm. Notice it, but not to over engage or over identify with whatever it is. I'm glad to hear you say that because that's something that I struggle with in my silence. I just struggle to quiet my mind down. And as long as I've been doing this, it's still a struggle. I'm (laughs) glad that you sometimes have struggled with that as well. (laughs) We're not alone. I think over time, I've started to just get comfortable with accepting that that's part of it. Our brains are wired to be working all the time. No one is expected to be something other than human. (laughs) So here we are trying to find silence in our lives and even in the chaos that may be surrounding us. Even just a moment where we can quiet down can be really valuable. I imagine that you're someone who's practiced silent prayer for a long time. And I wonder, what have been the struggles for you? What has been the value for you? How has it changed you? We've kind of alluded to it in the sense that the fruit of the prayer, I notice, is outside of the prayer. I was an administrator of secondary school for girls for 22 years. <laughs> That's and, not a very uh, quiet place. <laughs> it's not quiet. And people comment on my wonderful white hair. I say, I can put names on these. I, I can tell you. <laughs> but I think what served me well, and maybe it was it because of the ministry that I knew I needed, I needed the practice, or was it just my own personal relationship to God that led me there? And then the fruit of it showed up in the ministry. But I think it goes back to this notion of creating a spaciousness within over time where there's a non-reactive capacity to really emotional moments, you know, or very heated moments or challenging moments or conflictual moments or very sad moments or just heartbreaking moments. So there's a way you tap into that reservoir, you might say, that the silent practice has given you. So that you can respond, not react. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. How we can be responsive in the moment with, I think, a quality of presence that is only a gift of the Spirit. Because otherwise, it's too easy to get totally caught up in the emotion and the distorted thinking that can be coming around. It's like that trigger your own distorted thinking. You know, you can overgeneralize, you can start to blame, you can start to should, you can start to minimize or make things bigger. It's all the categories of thoughts that, you know, jump to conclusions or either, you know, fortune telling. I knew when she walked in here, she was going to act like that. I just knew it. It's all that kind of commentary that we know our brains are always kind of working. And if we're not taking care to create that reservoir, I call it, then we just contribute to chaos, I'd say. We live in such a polarized and overreactive climate right now. So anything we can do to show up better, a little more spaciousness so that we can listen a little more deeply and respond with a little more compassion and good judgment. You know, you still have to have good judgment. You don't give that away. You need that as well. That's world-changing stuff. 
We are living in a hyper-reactive environment in which people get called up and not really thinking as rationally as we should and sort of leading with emotions and especially negative emotions. So as you say, a practice of silence has the power to help us learn to take things in a little bit more slowly, a little bit more thoughtfully, and therefore respond with greater compassion. The thought that came to me when you were speaking is, and it was a profound learning for me, that I am not all my thoughts. I'm more than my thinking. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. That I can notice my thinking. And therefore, that means that there's a higher level of either consciousness or awareness yeah. that can actually watch the thoughts and then say, oh, I could let that one go. Or here it comes again. That's been a great help to me. My internal monologue has a tendency to be rather self-critical. So I will start in my silence and then I'll start thinking about something and then I will immediately go to, I'm thinking, therefore I'm doing this wrong and therefore I'm no good at this <laughs> and why am I even trying this? That's my distorted thinking. If I can recognize and have a little compassion for myself and a little patience yes. for myself, that becomes a skill that I can translate into my relationships with other people. A little more compassion, a little more kindness. That makes me a better contributor to the world. So for those who are new to practicing silence, what expectations should we begin with? The first expectation is that it's a process. I mean, God can do anything at any moment. Holy instant can be enough. But there is a commitment there. If you start with five minutes a day, that you can kind of carve out. It can naturally grow. You get a taste and then your appetite grows. So that's one expectation. The other is there are wonderful resources about meditation, centering prayer, the idea of just some tips about following your breath or having soft eyes, a gentle glance, a sacred word or mantra that you can go back to, you might say, as your anchor or as your intention. What I love about Centering Prayer is the teaching is that it's more about intention than attention. So your intention to be with God, what a wonderful intention to have. Whether you can control whatever happens during that or not, you can't. But your intention is what God sees. And God might say cherishes that God and God's delight. And we, we're, we delight God in, in our intention to take time to deepen our relationship with God. Because again, that spills over in terms of how we relate to one another, how we relate to ourselves. It is kind of the triple trifecta, you might say. As we do programming for the House of Prayer, generally we're trying to kind of come up with what are some core pieces of the curriculum that just are really basic teachings that folks need to have if they want to enter into a silent prayer practice or if they want to grow in their practice of silence. So again, a focal point, some deep breaths to set a time, actually use a little timer that might help you, and not to judge the prayer by what happens or doesn't, kind of suspend judgment. That's why we call it prayer of faith or practice of faith. And then the beauty of it is that sometimes you don't even know yourself. I'll go back to this. 
in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, you know, when you pray, and I love the sequence because when you pray, first he talks about going to the inner room, closing mm-hmm. the door and praying to your heavenly father in secret and your heavenly father will, will reward you. And I keep saying, yeah, he'll reward you in secret. You don't always know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, you pray in secret, God will reward you. But then right after that, he goes, and when you pray in words, mm-hmm. say this, you know, don't babble on and on. It's interesting that he starts with kind of the what I would interpret as more of a contemplative silent practice, sacred and secret, go into your room, let God do God's thing. And then, of course, when you pray in words, the incredible, magnificent prayer, yes. the Lord's prayer has it all and legitimizes not only the fact that God is God, God is our God. God also knows our human needs, our daily needs, real human mm-hmm. needs. Never hesitate to ask for what we need. That's been an encouragement to me as well. Well, my sense is that at this point in the pandemic, we're all really ready to feel like we could go back to normal. I, for one, would really like to get back to some sense of normalcy, to regular worshiping on Sundays, etc. But given that COVID-19 is still out there and still very dangerous, I think we have to be patient discover what alternatives God is offering us. I trust that. I trust that if we can't do what we're used to doing, then there is something here that God will give us. God is providing something. And at least in regards to our spirituality, I think that this pandemic is providing us with an excellent opportunity to learn to practice some forms of prayer that may be otherwise unfamiliar to us. And therefore, to discover what they have to offer us, how we can grow and deepen our relationships with God by trying something new. In your priestly office and ministry, not to be able to do the liturgical prayer of the Eucharist in the Mm -hmm. way that's to be done has to be (laughs) very difficult. But I'm thinking that as you're saying that, it's true. I think the invitation could be, especially around silence, as we practice different forms of prayer And in our somewhat isolated situation, we go to our inner room and close the door and pray. I think once we get to return to our communal worship, that we'll be more sensitized to the moments of deep silence and presence within our liturgical movement. It'll make it even more profound for us. I'm looking forward to it myself in the sense that right now, my situation with my elderly mom We watch on TV, but we're not going anywhere. (laughs) But it does kind of almost heighten the longing for that. I like the way you put that because that sounds very hopeful to me, that the fruits of our spiritual practices during this time will likely spill over and be realized when that moment of return happens. That gives us something to look forward to. that right now there is work for us to be doing. Just because we're not going to church maybe on Sunday mornings, that doesn't mean we can't pray. That doesn't mean we can't even worship with either our household or, you know, get somebody on the phone with us to pray. Or take that hour that you would have spent in church and try out some silence. 
So I think this is an opportunity. And for our listeners out there, I want to encourage you, if you have not tried sitting in silence as a form of prayer, I suggest that you give this a shot and see what happens during this time. See what God has to offer you with a little more silence in your lives. Now, our discussion of silence here would not be complete if we did not also introduce the house of prayer to our listeners Sister Deborah, not all of our listeners may be familiar with the House of Prayer. Would you please tell everyone about how the House of Prayer is a resource to support our pursuit of silence? Well, it's an absolute unique gift in this whole state of Arkansas that it is a single, beautiful, interfaith haven set apart in nature, dedicated to contemplative prayer, meditation, and quiet. That's the mission. We're all are welcome. It's available to might say, help people deepen their silent prayer practice, their meditation practice. Unfortunately, right now, we're open to those who have a key fob. We want to make it accessible. So there's a way to get a little key fob that gives you 24-7 access. We are taking some safety precautions in terms of wearing a mask while you're there. A few other things that are simple, but very important. But the grounds, the space, the only thing you might say that ever goes on within the house of prayer is silence, silent prayer, silent meditation. So it is totally safe, you might say, in that sense, that there's no other kind of intrusion. Everything about its design, its architectural design, the way it's maintained, simplicity of the place, but I think it all adds to the experience of silence as something tangible. I mean, there's an energy. It's a quality of silence I've not experienced in almost any other place. And I think it's because of the intention when people go, they actually contribute to that energy that almost is like Mm -hmm. a blanket. It can almost hold you. That's Mm -hmm. my sense when I walk in. I almost feel held by this rich silence that is a presence. To me, it's the presence of God. And I know that, of course, we welcome folks from all faith traditions, our seekers who perhaps are spiritually independent right now. But I think that's also the beauty of it is that whatever your history has been in religion or other congregations or other faith traditions, there's almost nothing there that could bring up anything that could be maybe painful from the past. There's no other signs or symbols except the beauty of the space. I think the desire is that if you feel attracted to this practice of silence, you go there, you experience it, it deepens it, it helps you go back to a place where, you know, it's more challenging to experience it. There's a rhythm to it. I've had people say, I had an hour and I went to the house of prayer and it made my whole week better. That's how I chose to spend an hour. It's not like I needed a three-day retreat or a 10-day retreat. It's the quality of the silence and the beauty of the space and the intentionality. I think that's well expressed. It is so hard, though, to put it into words. And maybe that's part of the beauty of it, that when we stop talking about God, God can be present in a way that is pure. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Say that that. to the preacher. (laughs) (laughs) So perhaps we just want to tell all of our listeners to go and experience it. It is something to be experienced just by ourselves. My favorite experiences at the House of Prayer have been Maundy Thursday, when we as a church community keep the watch. We keep an all-night vigil as we remember that period of time from Jesus's arrest to his crucifixion. 
And the Gospels tell us that night he took some disciples along with him to pray, and they kept falling asleep. Can you not stay awake with me one hour, was his comment to his disciples. So we sign up for one-hour shifts, and those times in the middle of the night when I have signed up to simply be in the house of prayer, sleepy, but with no particular objective, but simply to be with Christ in his suffering, those times have been holy and they have led to a more joyous Easter for me. And I am privileged to get to watch other people benefit from the house of prayer. Just this morning, I took a young mother into the house of prayer. She has a toddler and she's in that time of life where it's really hard to find a little bit of space and quiet. And it was such a pleasure to give that gift to her today. And I hope that's a gift that we can share with lots of people. My experience, too, of the campus there, St. Margaret's, and its relationship to House of Prayer, it's just been such a supportive community that I really just am so grateful. And I think one can help the other, actually, what one can provide to help deepen the other, so to speak. One other thing I thought of, though, as you said, when Jesus says, couldn't you watch with me for one hour? It's true that some people, when they start this prayer practice, they get so restful, they fall asleep. <laughs> so, they so, were just in know, deep prayer. Right, deep prayer. I, I always say, I said, you know, that's the gift you needed. Your intention was there and you fell asleep and be grateful, you know, or that's just what you needed and God allowed that. So no worries, you know, don't worry about it. it kind of goes back to this kind of non judgmental, don't be too judgmental of yourself as you start this practice because. We find out as human beings, we need the rest. We need rest in God. We need deep rest. Well, we are grateful for you, Deborah. Thank you. I'm grateful for this opportunity. It's brought me joy. I love the program that you're doing. I think it's just a wonderful way to support the community. So thank you. Well, I do believe that there is a deep joy that can be discovered in silence. You have made our joy complete today as we think about how we can bring that silence into our lives. Let me again thank all of our listeners today. I hope that you all may find a little bit of silence in this loud world. As always, I invite any comments or questions that you may have to add to this conversation. Please do listen again next time and remember that our JOY is not complete without you. This is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Bano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Music